Hey friend, Dr. Lee Warren here coming at you um, from the living room of my house in Casper, Wyoming. I am uh, excited about this podcast because I have a very special guest with me today and we're going to get right into it. Um, You hear me talk a lot, um, maybe more than normal amount, about uh, my wife, Lisa Warren. And she's obviously heavily involved in everything that I do, my ministry, my work, my writing, every podcast um, Lisa is uh, truly my sidekick and um, better half in every way that that could be measured um, or described. And today, I thought, since I get so many emails every week saying, hey, please ask Lisa to pray for me. Thanks for all that you and Lisa do. Um, I, I want. I, I felt like it would be appropriate for you to know more about who Lisa is as a person. So today we're going to get to know Lisa Warren, her story, her struggles, her big moments, her situation, and kind of what makes her tick and why she is such an effective partner for me and why I'm always telling you about her. So today we're going to get to know Lisa Warren. This is episode 25 of the Dr. Lee Warren podcast, and we're going to get right into it. And of course, as always, we're going to start today. Hey, I'm so glad to have you listening today. As I said, I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I live here in Wyoming in the United States of America with my wife, who you're about to meet, Lisa Warren. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. You can't change your life until you change your mind, and we're here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get that done. You can get the show notes and more at my website, wlee.com warrenmd.com please sign up for my newsletter and if you like my podcast please sign up subscribe for you never miss a new episode and rate share and review the show because that is how other people find out about it and you're doing a great job because we are now being listened to every week in 50 states and over 60 countries around the world but you rating it sharing it and reviewing it is how new people find out about it we have downloads from the ukraine last week for the first time ever so our ukrainian friends welcome aboard we're glad to have you this is dr lee warren episode 25 getting to know lisa warren we are changing our lives by changing our minds so let's get after it okay we are here in our dining room i think i said living room while ago but it's actually our dining room and I'm here with my favorite person in the whole world and my extra special guest today, Mrs. Lisa Warren. Hey, Lisa, how are you doing today? I am doing terrific. You look terrific, too. <laughs> She's really pretty. I wish you could see her right now. Sorry, I'm not trying to embarrass you, honey. Um, I wanted to ask you, Lisa, to come on the show today because I really, as you know, we get emails every week, almost every day, from somebody somewhere, and they always say, can you and Lisa pray for me? Or thanks for all that you and Lisa do. And and, and this really truly is a, a joint venture, isn't it? This work that we do. It is. We we are one hundred percent a team. That's right. And when people say, um, Doctor Warren, I really love your books. Like I always <laughs> say, well, gosh, Lisa pretty much lived, helped write, edited, was part of every word of every page of, of those stories. Haven't you been? Yes. Definitely. I mean, not only are my books really our stories because I write memoir about my own life, but so they obviously involve you a lot. But but you also um, have been instrumental in encouraging me to write and podcast and email and all the things that I do, um, but also in, in helping me process all the stuff that we've been through. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to just take a minute, a few minutes today, 20 or 30 minutes to 
really give the other side of that story. So people hear about me all the time and they hear me talk about you all the time, but I thought it'd be great if they could just hear you talk a little bit today. So thanks for doing that. Of course. Tell us uh, first about just a basic background of where you grew up and where you came from and that sort of thing. Well, I kind of grew up everywhere. My dad worked for a company that moved us around about every four to five years. So I didn't live anywhere very long until I was in college and lived in San Antonio, Texas, for probably the longest period of my life. So I've lived all over the country. Um, it kind of formed who I am today because I was always the new person. Um, very fortunate that my parents encouraged us to be involved in sports and cheerleading and gymnastics. And I was on swim team. I, they, they really gave us an opportunity to no matter where we went to school, we had some way to plug in. And so um, I can remember knowing that we were moving in the middle of my sophomore year in high school. And I mean, I was heavily involved in all those things. I just mentioned every sport and journalism club and Junior National Honor Society, and then having being told that we were getting ready to move. Well, my dad flew us um, to Dallas so that we could try out for dance team, for wow. cheerleading, for the football team, um, so that we would already be plugged in when we got there. So, just to be clear, cheerleading for the football team, not trying out for the football team, right? <laughs> no, that was my brother. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. I just want no, to clarify no, no. that. So, football team was my brother. Dance team was my sister. Right. Cheerleading was me. Right. We all played sports, too. But you um, undersold yourself a little bit. You, you actually got some um, pretty significant opportunities in swimming and in gymnastics, right? You, you were kind of talked about maybe for Olympic trials and that sort of thing. Junior Olympic. Olympic. Junior Olympic trials. Yeah. Um, in which sport in gymnastics, but as again, because we moved around so much, it was really hard to find a new club. Um, but it did give me a really great job that I always had starting at 14. I taught gymnastics all the way until I was 35 and, um, the girls that were in the tumbling class kept getting taller and bigger and I kept being five two and <laughs> the time I got kicked in the face I was like I'm done. I think done. I've I've contributed to gymnastics long enough. Long enough. Yeah. And then you went to college and you got um I think it was thirty seven degrees, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> How many if majors you did you have? My parents. I remember one time my dad sat me down and he was <laughs> like, um, just wondering if we could have a little chat. Um, are you going to decide on something because you keep changing your major? I could have been a professional student. I loved it. I took more philosophy classes, even though philosophy was not even required for any of the um, degrees that I um, attempted. Um, The final one, I got a degree. Well, when I started out in college, I was pre-law and then decided to do something different instead of just going strictly with what everybody else that my friends that were pre-law, I did a double major of history and political science and then an English minor because I loved, I loved reading, which if you think about those three things, all I did was read all through college. I always had more books than any of my friends. Um, But I ended up not going to law school and 
I'm very grateful that I didn't now. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I think that the the thing that I loved was I loved learning. And so that's why I jumped around quite a bit. But right. I finally did get a degree and ended up going back to school later after um, Josh and Caitlin were born. And I realized I loved psychology and I loved interacting with people and people tend to tell me, you know, their problems and things that are going on in their lives that are very intimate. And I thought, well, what could I do with that? And so I went back to school to become a psychologist. I lack like 12 hours. And then I just, I also realized <laughs> that was not for me. Um, there was, <laughs> this is going to sound bad if you're a psychologist out there. I apologize. This is only <laughs> talking about the people in my program in Texas. Um, but there were a lot of Birkenstocks and corduroy. And I was like, this is not me. Um, and so at that time is when I also realized that I, I've always loved to cook. Right. First time I made a gourmet meal, I was 10 years old. My mom got all the ingredients for me, and I've cooked my whole life. I love it. I read cookbooks like people read novels. She does. And um, I thought, well, I'm going to open a catering business. So I did and was very successful. It's very, very hard work. Um, I did that for about four years, almost five years, and then kind of parlayed that into being a personal chef because I ended up doing catering jobs for the same people over and over and over. And then they would ask me to do things in the middle of the week. And it was like, okay, this is also a job. I tried to do both at the same time for a while. And when you're cooking for someone five days a week. And at one point I was cooking for five families, five days a week. And of course, still then cooking for my family. But, um, I, I realized I couldn't do the catering anymore. And once I had a couple of, of really big clients that wanted me to cook for them, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner five days a week, I realized I needed to quit catering. So I did and did the personal chef thing for a good while. Right. Now, I know you're not comfortable sharing the names of people that you were personal chefs for. You have a a saying about that, right? Yeah. Personal chefs don't kiss and tell. That's right. But just to give you some uh, credibility here on the show, um, Lisa was a personal chef for a major New York Times bestselling writer and then at a different time, an NBA Hall of Fame basketball player while he was playing in the NBA. So, um, She's not uh, just your average, like a home trained chef. She's actually a professional, world class chef who's got some amazing stuff on her resume. Um, and I can attest uh, with my ever expanding waistline <laughs> to <laughs> how, how great of a cook she is. Uh, now, one thing you, you, you mentioned, um, Josh and Katie, and I'll just put this out there for folks. Uh, if you've been following us for a while or listening or re- if you've read any of my books, you know this already. But just to clarify any potential confusion, um, Lisa and I have a blended family. And we both um, are each other's second spouse. So that, yes. those are stories for other episodes, probably. But um, 
Josh and Caitlin are Lisa's biological children, and Kimberlyn, Mitchell, and Kaylin were my biological children. But um, when we got married in 2006, this is kind of an interesting story. We made a decision when we got engaged, um, and talk about that for a second, like how our families, if we were going to blend them, how was that going to look for us? There wasn't going to be step anything. Um, in fact, we prayed really hard about should we get married because right. it, if we couldn't make a family, not a blended family, but a family out of these two families that had gone through hard things, then I really didn't feel like it was worth it. And we prayed really hard that God would put together these lives and create one family. And he did. He did. Um, I've had people tell me who didn't know that we were a blended family and found out later that they never would have guessed. Yeah. I've had friends who have blended families and have said they, they just don't understand how we have this, how we have this. The, our kids don't call each other, oh, that's my stepbrother or that's my stepsister. It's, this is my brother, this is my sister. That's right. And they love each other. Um, they have relationships together that have nothing to do with us. Um, we did a really good job of making them realize that we were a family, 100% right. just a family, not a blended family. And I think, honestly, you know, as we were, as we were considering getting together, the kids did that themselves. I mean, they, they really blended themselves and became part of each other's lives and, and said vows to each other yes. and to us at our wedding. And so it, it, they really, um, we would not have gotten married if it hadn't been possible to do it that way. Right. And, 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 you know, from my standpoint, I never, I have never one time ever said to anybody that Josh or Caitlin were my stepchildren. I've never introduced them in, no, in any way either. other than just my kids. Um, and it's funny because we've got friends, you know, we moved from um, Wyoming, I'm sorry, from Alabama to Wyoming four and a half years ago. And we've got friends here that, that haven't met our kids because they're all grown now. And they don't know that we're blended. They, right. They'd see pictures. They don't know if they see a picture of our grandkids and nobody knows who's, that there's any biological difference in anybody, which I think is really a, mm -hmm. a special thing. Um, okay, so um, not to get too far down that path, but I just wanted to, to make sure that folks are aware um, – that we had, you know, every, like everybody's story, our backstories aren't perfect. Right. And there's been some challenges and some struggles. So tell me um, about some of the things that you've struggled with. Oh, wow. Um, you mean now or yeah. my whole life? Yeah, well, let, me, let, me, I mean, let me frame the question a little bit bigger. So um, let's talk professionally, first of all, in your, in your careers, the various careers that you've had. Um, what's one of the biggest professional struggles you've ever encountered? Well, part of it, I think, is because I've always been kind of a jack-of-all-trades person, and I used to think that was a negative, Yeah, you know, because you have a very, like, singular career path. You have these other things now that you're doing, writing, podcasting, other things you've developed into, but you had a very singular path, and I had one that's kind of all over the place. And I think that's kind of part of our personalities. And I think that's why we fit together so well is that, um, we've had very different backgrounds right. and we have very varied interests and things that, 
you know, excite us or challenge us. Right. But I think I took that for a long time. I thought that was a really negative thing. Well, why am I doing all these things instead of just putting all my efforts into one thing? And what I realized is really I was doing one thing. I was in a service-oriented business regardless of what I did when I was um, a caterer. It was you know where I was serving people. Right. And when I was a personal chef, I was serving people. And when I went back to school again, um, and became an interior designer, I was serving people. And the one thing that I think, so I have all these things that I've done, but the one thing they do is they are serving people, but they're also helping people make their lives better. That's right. And that's what you do, even in your medical career, but also in your writing and podcasting. You are working towards helping people make their lives better. That's right. Now, one thing you said that I think we ought to expand on a little bit is it's not that you just um, woke up one morning and said, oh, I think I'll change my career today or I think I'll go do something new today. Um, I think there's a there's at least three that I know of time periods in your life when you did something or educated yourself and started a business because you had to. Right. Right. So something came along, some crisis happened in your family and you needed to step in and not just be a full-time mom, but go and learn how to become a chef or learn how to become an interior designer. And then we'll tell this one story. So after we got married, um, Lisa um, was not working right off the bat when we moved to Auburn and established a practice. She was staying home with the younger uh, three kids that were um, with us most of the time at that time. And basically, I start. we started a practice in Auburn, a, a neurosurgery practice, and we hired a what we thought professional office manager to run our business because neither of us had ever run a professional medical practice before. I'd, I'd been okay. in the military and, you know, practicing neurosurgery as a military physician and been off to war and, and, and had never owned my own business. Um, and then maybe a year, year and a half. It was a, about a year and a half. Yeah. So we got going and then we realized um, we weren't making any money. Like <laughs> I was working really hard, but the dollars weren't coming in. And well, they weren't right. They, yeah. I mean, we both recognized that something wasn't right, that That's there right. was money that should be there that wasn't there. Right. So long story short, um, our accountants couldn't figure it out. Our office manager wasn't figuring it out. And, and I asked Lisa, can you look at this and figure out what the problem is? Because she's smart and she understands how to look at things critically. And you figured out something bad was happening. Yes. Um, we had someone that was stealing from us. and. Yeah. Literally in one instance, our, our consultants and accountants came down from Birmingham and um, said um, they let our office manager go and escorted her from the building. And they looked at me and I looked at them and they were like, we're going to need you to step in until right. we, you know, help you figure this out and, you know, help you hire someone. So overnight... I went from being a um, stay-at-home, yeah, personal <laughs> chef, caterer, um, interior designer, to being a medical practice administrator. That's right. 
overnight. And, and I can tell you from my perspective as, you know, being a physician, like they don't teach you, I think they do a better job now, but, but in those days, at least they didn't teach us how to run businesses. So they had, they trained all these people to do complicated medical things and then go out into the workforce and run really multi-million dollar companies without any business training. And so, um, I didn't know how to fix the problem and you came in and, and really, I think from my perspective, one of the most beautiful things about your brain is that you, you'd never allow yourself to be trapped in a paradigm of this is how it has to be done. And I think that turned out to be a real advantage for us in our practice because Lisa came in and looked at every problem, not from how does every other office manager of a medical practice in Auburn, Alabama handle this particular problem, but rather how do we look at the industry and see what the best practices are and look at other industries that might have something to lend to this? And you really tore it apart and like rebuilt it from the ground up as a, as a novel sort of um, experiment in how to best run a medical practice. And, and even on, I, I'll never forget as we built this, we, we moved from a small office. We were in a strip mall, right? At first <laughs> in an old, uh, an old, uh, children's clothing store. Right? Yep. The grand doodles children clothing store. Yeah. And we came, I think, I guess in 2008, nine, 2009, maybe, um, had an opportunity to take some new office space on the campus of the Auburn university, um, MRI research facility, which is this beautiful new building and beautiful location on the campus of that great university. And basically Lisa, um, had an opportunity then to pull out her old interior design talents and talk a second about just the way that you conceived and delivered building us a new office. Well, I guess I had two things that I was interested in making sure was as perfect as it possibly could be. And the first was the patient experience. And the second was your time and energy. Um, And I know this sounds, I guess if you hadn't lived with a neurosurgeon and also worked with him, you wouldn't understand this, but Lee is on his feet every single day, all day long. If he's in the office, he's on his feet, um, walking from patient room to patient room, standing in the area where he has to write his notes, um, talking to the patients, talking to his staff. And if he's in the OR, he's on his feet all day long. So, I mean, I I had no idea that the job was not just um, mentally challenging, but the physical challenges of being a surgeon are really unbelievable. So I created a space that would minimize his standing and minimize the area he had to cover to see the patients he saw every clinic day, which was was about 40 people. So 80 people a week. And then he did about 14 cases a week. So he um, had a lot of standing already. So I really tried to maximize the patient experience and minimize his effort that he had to expend to give the best patient experience. And so she basically looked at the workflow of what I needed to do and the, in the flow of how patients needed to enter and exit the office and, and created this space where all of those things were maximally efficient. And it, and we had people from all over the state and other industries that looked at our office as kind of a textbook of how you could design and deliver something that served at a very high level. And she ended up getting to do some consulting for other people in other industries. And, and really, um, it just showed an aspect of 
why I think you're one of the smartest people I've ever met. I always say the smartest person, of course, but you just can look at a problem and folks, that's a lesson to take. Like, like don't, don't always look at something that's put in front of you. And your first question is how do other people do this? I mean, look at it as what's the nature of the problem and how can I break that problem down into its component parts and how can I put them together in a way that's going to solve the problem in the best and most efficient way? Kind of like calculus, if you think about it. Um, so anyway, that, that, that's kind of a piece of our background together that I think is, is interesting how you've answered the bell over the course of your career and, and evolved and changed and grown and learned. But every piece of what you've done has added up to something that's useful in the present state. That's kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So what's something that you've, what's a particular moment um, in, your, in your life that's been a big struggle for you? Again, difficult question. Do you do this to everybody? Everybody. <laughs> um, I think it kind of goes back to that same thing of feeling like I didn't take just one path and follow it. But, right. but I also recognize, I am smart enough to recognize that life and situations created my need to go and do things that I might not have necessarily set out to do. And I think in the long run, I think I look back and I know that God, he used me in all those moments and allowed me to be successful in places that I never thought I would be because I needed to be able to have something. I think all of us do. We need to feel like we've contributed to society, that we've done something useful, that we're, you know, important and that things are not just seemingly unimportant because all the things that all of us do, as long as we're, our goal is to make our lives better, make the people around us better, make our world better, then we are moving forward. So I, I guess my hardest thing that I struggle with and still struggle with is not feeling significant. Right. Um, that's kind of really where I kind of always circle back to feeling like I'm not doing enough or not doing it well enough. Right. You struggled with that when we moved from from Alabama to Wyoming. You know, we yes. worked we worked together side by side for almost eleven years, and you were you were literally running the business that created income for our family, and getting you know being a side by side partner in me. So you you had a a sense that you were part of the team that made our family successful, right? Right. And, and let we, me let me interrupt just for a second when he says side by side. Our desks were actually side by side yeah, at the office, right. and our desks at home were actually side by side. Um, so we do we do, everything we do is together. Yep. And so moving here to Wyoming was really challenging because when I left my career again, I left my career in San Antonio and moved to Auburn, created a new one, left that when we moved to Wyoming, and you working for the hospital didn't leave me a place to help you um, with the medical part of your life. But instead, I've focused on helping you with your writing and podcasting and your newsletter and all the other things that you're doing now. So again, I've turned 
that what felt like a negative into a positive and found a new a new way to feel useful and significant. Well, I, that's beautifully said, but I, I think it, it ought to be said for everybody listening out there that there is nobody, no human being in any industry, any profession um, who doesn't feel inadequate in some way. Right. I mean, all of us do. I mean, I think every, every brain surgeon, part of why we're a brain surgeon is to prove to ourselves or to somebody else in our life that we're intelligent, right? Like uh, there's some reason why we tried so hard to finish at the top of the class and get into that position was to, to prove something to somebody. Like, um, so I think everybody struggles with the sense of inadequacy or are we doing enough? Um, I look at you and your career and, and, and folks, if you're listening at home, like apply these things to yourselves. But I look at Lisa and I say, gosh, here's a person who has at every turn in her life done whatever was necessary to take care of the people she was responsible for, including going back to school, scratching out a new career, working two or three or four jobs at the same time. Like this is a person sitting to my right here who has literally saved the day for her family like multiple times and for other people like you you have never failed you you never shrugged your shoulders and said that's not my problem you need to go get another job you, you've always said okay what can i do to help how can i fix this what am i good at what can i learn and that's that's an inspiring thing to me i, I applaud you for that today's international women's day <laughs> i'm i'm nominating lisa warren as the winner of international women's day today <laughs> so you can you can vote on my website how about that <laughs> I, I, so let, let's let's pivot for a second because we're running out of time. Um, tell me a, a favorite scripture or a quote that you have. What's if you're going to share something with us um, to leave people with something important today? What would you share? I have a lot of scriptures that are important to me, but when you asked me to do this, I was thinking of I have had a lot of hard things happen in my life, yeah. and a lot of times. I don't have a lot of sympathy for people that just throw in the towel right. and or just say that is someone else's problem. No, it, we're responsible for ourselves, but we're not just responsible for ourselves. We're responsible for the people around us and the people we care about and for our place in the world, the people we come in contact with. Um, and Psalm 27, just the beginning of it, has gave me a feeling of power Almost like I was, uh, it gave me the sense that I could fight through and deal with anything I was dealing with. And it's just the first three verses that um, I would say to myself from time to time, um, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat upon my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. And the this that I'll wow. be confident is in is in God. That's is right. the person that as long as I put my my hope and my confidence in him, I could handle all the things that happened to me around me and and continue on and and strive to be more and be successful and make a difference in the world. Wow. You know, I, 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 we didn't talk about it in this episode because we've covered it um, in, in my books and, and we've talked about it a lot. But, you know, when Lisa alluded to, she's been through a lot of hard things. I mean, like me, um, she's been through a divorce. She's been through some difficult personal times um, 
you lost a child right there alongside me when Mitch passed away. Um, you lost your mom in January of 2018. Um, and so those are stories that you can tell on your own in, in other venues. And, and we've talked, we've told those stories in our books, but, but tell maybe just quickly, like, what is it that, that keeps you getting up in the morning when you've done, when you've gone through something really hard like that? Like, how did you, how did you, from your perspective, carry on after we lost a child? Well, I guess the short answer to that would be that I had people that counted on me. Um, I had people I needed to take care of. Um, We had employees that needed to be paid. Um, We had family that counted on us. Our children counted on us. And I think all of us in this family... And I mean, our both both sets of our parents, um, our siblings, our our close friends. We we have surrounded ourselves with and grew up in a culture of you do what you have to do. There, you don't just stop when bad things happen because sure. bad things are going to happen. They haven't stopped happening to me. They will continue to happen because. That's the world we live in. Yeah. So we live in a broken world, and I'm not going to be somebody who sits and just bemoans the fact that, you know, this bad thing happened or that bad thing happened. It's get up, continue to believe that your confidence is coming from someone else, which is in my, in my faith, I believe the Holy Spirit and God is my power. That's where I get my power from, and I, that's where I get my confidence from. And you keep going. You keep going. That's right. Because if you, if you sit down, you're done for. Right. right. If you quit, you're done for. The enemy will overwhelm you, and you'll, um, you'll never get back on your feet. you got to keep moving. Right. And so I can, just, I can attest to the fact that having a partner um, when you're in those dark times, I mean, having you at my side is the only way I survived losing a child. Um, and, and as a team, we got through that. Um, I hope folks, uh, everybody out there listening, I hope you have a Lisa Warren in your life. Um, you don't, but I hope you have somebody close, <laughs> somebody from your perspective who serves all the, the ways that she does. And um, I can just tell you, I've never encountered another human being with as many different skills that were at the top of your game. You know, the, the old joke about um, jack of all trades and master of none, like she's somebody who has mastered many different things um and and just I, I just applaud you for the kind of brain and heart and spirit that you have and you certainly made my life a whole lot better and i hope that you've made the lives of people listening today all over the world better and given them some perspectives that maybe they didn't have hey if you were going to uh, toss a book out there um lisa for people to, that, that, that somebody just has to read throw me a book that somebody ought to read okay well when we started that book a week challenge of course, being the competitive person that I am. Um, Wait, what? You're competitive? <laughs> <laughs> I tried to read more yeah. than Lee. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, you got to have something that you can get over on him. Like, this <laughs> is a person a that, no, but you're also a person that has many, many gifts and also master of many, many, many things. And... Um, we came up with a little, like a, a plan of we're yeah. never going to stray too far away from a book that brings us closer to the Lord. So we would read um, a 
a book about um, our relationship with the Lord, strengthening our relationship with the Lord. Right. And then we would read a personal development book, something about business, or back in those days I read a lot of healthcare stuff, um, and something that like builds you up as a human being in whatever profession that you're in. And then a novel, because... I mean, reading is supposed to be fun, too. So um, out of those things, the books, when you asked me this, I was like, gosh, like, what, what am I supposed to say? So there, I look at books that I've read over and over again, and there's very few of those that I've read multiple times. And one of the books that I've read multiple times is a book by J.D. Greer called Jesus Continued. Yeah. Um, why the spirit inside of you is better than the Jesus or why the spirit inside you is better than the Jesus beside you. Yeah. And that about book, the Holy spirit. Yes. Yeah. And that book goes back to Psalm 27, that feeling of where my confidence comes from. And I know where my gifts come from. I know where my personality comes from, but that book just took all of those things and amplified it. I've read it probably a total of four times. I've bought it for multiple people yeah, because it was one of those books that just really impacted me. And then the novel that it was the very first time I think I read narrative nonfiction um, was Behind the Beautiful Forevers, Life, Death, and Hope in the Mumbai Undercity by Catherine Boo. Um, it read so much like a novel that when I found out it was a non narrative nonfiction, I had to go back and read it again because yeah, you thought it was I was like, oh yeah. my gosh, this is real. And it it's a beautifully disturbing look at at poverty at its greatest measure that you she lived in that area for ten years to follow these people along and just the underlying spirit that these people have their ability to go through hard things and continue to see hope is remarkable you i mean please read it because it is one of those books that will it's heartbreaking but it it's a book that will stay with you for a very long time and i love books that i talked about this in the last episode i love books that change fundamentally change how an adult person who's pretty squared awake looks at a particular thing. Right. And so J.D. Greer's book, um, Jesus Continued, is about the Holy Spirit, and he takes what Jesus himself said about the Holy Spirit. All of us think that having Jesus next to us would be the greatest thing ever. Like if Jesus showed up at your house today and, and was hanging out with you, you would think that was the best thing ever. But what Jesus said to the disciples in John in the Gospel of John was, I'm going away and the Holy Spirit is coming and that's better for you mm-hmm. because he's going to put the power of God inside you. And so what he said is that you can do even greater things with the Holy Spirit inside you than you could do with me next to you. Right. And that book just, it kind of blew our brains up. Yeah. And frankly, J.D. Greer's written some other really great books. Um, his most recent one is called Not God Enough, um, and that's a powerful, amazing book too. But um, I, I love how you've encountered um, a couple of books like that that kind of shake, shook your mm-hmm. worldview up, and certainly uh, Behind the Beautiful Forevers uh, is another one of those that Lisa really read it and thought it was fiction. Right. And then um, as she was about done with it, I think the first time she told me about it and, and I, we were talking and on Amazon, it says this is a nonfiction book nominated for a Pulitzer Prize. And she was like, wait, what? Am, what? <laughs> it's not, it's it's real? It really happened? And then it became even more heartbreaking right. because those kids are real. Those are stories are real about poverty mm-hmm. and destitution and 
we don't have that context in the United States really to understand no. that level of of poverty that people are going through. And so um, those are two books. I'll put the links in the show note in the show notes for you. Um, Lisa, thanks so much for your time today. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the show, and I hope people have gained. I know that they've gained some value um, from getting to know you a little bit better. Well, thanks. I hope so. Um, it's a hard act to follow, following Lee Warren. So <laughs> <laughs> I really stressed out about it. But um, we are a team, 100%. Absolutely. Anybody that knows us, that really knows us, they know that we are we are both individually strong, but together we're indomitable. That's right. And so folks, if you are listening out there, if you're not listening, you won't hear this. I shouldn't (laughs) say, I always think that's funny. If you're listening out there. So those of you who are listening out there, um, I hope and pray that you've been blessed uh, in some ways by getting to know Lisa in a way that like I have. And um, I hope that you have somebody in your life who is just instrumental in you being the person that you are. And I've said it to a million people, but essentially all of the good things about Lee Warren, the adult human that I am right now, have a lot to do with uh, your um, patience and your nurturing and your pointing out things and you helping me grow and, and change and become the person that I am. Um, and I thank you for that. You've really impacted my life, not just because you're my wife, but just as a human being, uh, being next to you for for the last, what, 15 years mm-hmm. almost. Um, and, and thank you. You just have made my life so much better. I love you. I love you too. And that's a little romance for you there on the podcast. But hey, we have a little motto in our family. Um, I always start almost almost every episode, almost everything I write. I talk about how when you know in your heart that there's something you got to do, when there's a change that God is begging and demanding of you, when your spirit tells you that you got to change your mind about something, you always have to start tomorrow. No, start today. No, wait, wait, wait. You don't start tomorrow? <laughs> no, no. Not tomorrow. Okay, so when do you start? You start today. Hey, thanks for listening. The Dr. Lee Warren Podcast is brought to you by I've Seen the End of You, a neurosurgeon's look at faith, doubt, and the things we think we know, which is available from Waterbrook, Penguin Random House, everywhere books are sold. Remember, please support your local booksellers. You can subscribe to this show so you automatically get every episode. And please, please take a minute to share, rate, and review the show because that's how new people find out about it. If you like my show, you'll love my newsletter, wleewarrenmd.com slash newsletter. Every Sunday, I'm bringing you my best prescriptions for how you can change your mind and change your life all for free at wleewarrenmd.com. Check it out for the newsletter, the show notes, and more. Hey, the theme music for this show is Blue Highway by Pottington Bear via freemusicarchive.org. That's freemusicarchive.org. I am represented for public speaking by the Penguin Random House Speakers Bureau. If you're interested in hooking me up to speak at your event, please go to my website, wleewarrenmd.com. Click on speaking, and I can provide you with all that information about how you can do that. On social media, I am at Dr. Lee Warren, at D-R-L-E-E-W-A-R-R-E-N on Twitter and Instagram. I love to connect with you. Lisa is Lisa D. Warren on Instagram and Twitter, at Lisa D. Warren. We love to hear from you, and we will engage with you. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and you have to start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. God bless you, and have a great day.